what? Is that years later, when I was in college, hmm. I had a professor. He was dating this cool, young, hip yoga teacher from like my neighborhood that I was kind of aware of. And then I saw her Facebook one day. And she posted a photo of like missing my grandfather today. Her grandfather was Rocky the Cookie Man. From You're Harvest, a liar. I am not. Wow. But I couldn't tell anyone because I was creeping on my college professor's girlfriend, girlfriend on, on Facebook. Facebook. That's really weird. That's I really hate weird. Myself. <laughs> Remember when your mom accidentally liked all those pictures of Olivia? <laughs> my mom Facebook stalked my brother's new girlfriend, currently his wife. Thank God, currently his wife. I know. She, <laughs> she liked all of her photos by accident going and back this like, is like years. And this is like when they were just like talking. Yeah. They're like not quite dating yet. Yeah. Oh, that's so embarrassing. Uh, and then Zach stories. had to like text her and be like, oh, hey, my sorry, mom liked all your pictures. <laughs> I'm sorry. And also, was it while she was moonlighting as Kevin Pruitt? Oh, yes. So it also came up as Zach's best friend was liking all of because Olivia's photos. Mom because mom refused to have a Facebook for a while. She refused to have a Facebook for years. I oh forcibly made her one as a Mother's Day present. Best gift of all time. Delightful. All right. But we're not here to talk about any of that nonsense. No, we're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women... Have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we're not historians, but we are now officially live Zoom retirees. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, guys. We did it. Oh, thank you, everybody, for coming. We had such a good time. So much fun. I think we have a new patron. I have to look up what your name <laughs> yeah. is. I'm so sorry. Thank Exciting. you for being there. I will send you something. Also, I will get around to sending everybody the things that they won. Yeah. Uh, it I will have, happen eventually. Yeah. Um, I might be reaching out for addresses and I know that's creepy, but <laughs> we'll that's make it you won. You won. Something. Woo, woo, woo. <sighs> uh, so anyways, but yeah, are you ready to get into it? I really am. All right. But before we get into it, before we tell you these two stories, um, we're concerned about you. You're looking up addresses. You're looking up addresses. You're deep into your college professor's life <laughs> on Facebook on Facebook you're it's trying weird. to find his address I'm concerned for you we're all concerned for you but don't worry I've also been there yeah um just don't wear a <laughs> diaper and drive to his I house overnight to kill him that's crazy <laughs> that's for astronauts only <laughs> we gotta cover her oh yes but anyways you're busy talk so. dirty to me <laughs> um so you don't have time to stop what you're doing and look up what these women look like so we're gonna describe them for you we're gonna get a little physical physical Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like i'm doing ronnie specter <sighs> who was a biracial woman with a great cat eye a mm -hmm. super pouty lip mm -hmm. a beehive hairdo but whatever decade she was in she was true to that decade i mean i saw her in like go go girl dresses i saw her in like a white tank top with suspenders <laughs> and like big hair <laughs> she was just like really for five decades on the music scene mm -hmm. and was fully functioning within it I love her so much. She's really cool. <laughs> Who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing Anne of Green Gables, Perfect. a.k.a. Anne Shirley. Yeah. This is the physical description of her from the book. 
A child of about 11, garbed in a very short, very tight, very ugly dress of yellowish-gray wincy. She wore a faded brown sailor hat, and beneath the hat, extending down her back, were two braids of very thick, decidedly red hair. Her face was small, white, and thin, and also much freckled. Her mouth was large, and so were her eyes, which looked green in some lights and moods and gray in others. So, yeah. Anne is typically seen with red braids, um, a straw hat, freckles, green eyes, and drab clothing, except for her one eventual puffed sleeve dress. She sounds like she's going to grow into a style icon. I think so. Uh, And I want to point out the puffed sleeve dress is brown in the book, but like blue in the movie, Movie. in the 1985 one. Okay. So, yeah. But that's what she looks like. Everybody knows what Anne of Green Gables looks like. I mean, it's very easy to picture her in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a pippy long stocking, but like a long before that yeah yeah yeah. i also really want to do pippi long she's a good one i loved her so much growing up um anyways so what are we about to drink it looks so fun this is called be my baby and it is like kind of a take on a cosmo but i like took some things out and add some things in so instead of vodka it's two ounces of gin Mm -hmm. instead of lime juice it's three-fourths of an ounce of lemon juice Mm -hmm. then of course i added the cranberry juice Mm -hmm. some dashes of bitters and then just some fresh spring cookies tea (laughs) cookies Cheers. cheers Mm. delicious i love that it's a lot punchier than a normal cosmo like i feel like this is more sour than a cosmo Mm -hmm. which i actually love and it's a little bit more i don't know bright i don't it's really good and obviously i love a cookie as a garnish a tea cookie (laughs) we have all these tea cookies now next to us and i will proceed to eat them for the rest of that i'm gonna be very jealous because i have to talk instead of eat but i will be eating my share on the second half of the episode go for it (laughs) okay so tell me what you know about uh ronnie specter i know that she was part of the ronettes Mm -hmm. she's the lead singer she had an amazing beehive hairdo i know that she was married to phil specter and he's an asshole yep um and that's like pretty much all i know okay cool so i'm gonna journey you through this i will have you know exactly 48 hours from now i will be exiting the rock and roll hall of fame (laughs) and i will be seeing the display of the ronettes in the rock and roll hall of fame so i'm excited about that they got inducted in 2007 so um i I just can't wait to go see all the famous ladies there so that'll be a lot of fun um i got this information from a couple articles online obviously including wikipedia i read sections of ronnie's memoir that came out in 1990 it wasn't that long and she actually reads it in four parts on youtube so like i just like kind of turned it on in the background and like just had her reading it to me which was um interesting i didn't get through all of it but enough that i was like okay i see what's happening um and then i watched a couple youtube documentaries where she'd be interviewed at different times throughout her life both when she was with phil and not when she was with phil so that was crazy to see the change in her so um, let's get into it Veronica Yvette Bennett was born August 10th, 1943 in East Harlem, New York City, and grew up in the Washington Heights area of Manhattan. She was the daughter of Beatrice and Louis Bennett. 
Uh, he was a subway worker who was half African-American, half Irish. She refers to her dad as white, though. So I'm assuming he presented as very white. Okay. Um, and then her mother was half African-American, half Cherokee. She says that interracial marriages were very common in their neighborhood. So it's not like this was anything out of the ordinary for her. It was very normal for her. Right. Mm -hmm. Her dad was super easygoing. Her mom was the opposite, always frustrated. But she and her sister, Estelle, didn't know at the time that her mom was dealing with her dad's alcohol problems. And that's why she was so super frustrated. Um, Even though it seems like he was kind of like a happy drunk Oh, <laughs> any kind of drunk, though, when you're married to it is annoying, annoying. Yeah. Um, her parents split up when she was 12. And from there, her mom raised them on her own. Mm. Ronnie wanted to be a tap dancer. She just loved dance. She took tap and ballet. Um, and that was all until she heard Frankie Lineman, who was on the radio. She's obsessed with him and his voice. And she was like, that is how I want to sound and then she was even more shocked when she found out that he was black she was like how did he get his diction that good and then she was even more shocked when she found out he was 13 <laughs> and she's like 11 shocked too. <laughs> yeah she's like 11 years old so she's like i am obsessed with this i'm obsessed with this kid i want to sound like that i want to do that so ronnie starts singing nonstop. Her and her sister Estelle and their first cousin Nedra Talley are all singing together now and their family is strongly encouraging it. Go ahead, sing, 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 sing for us, sing at school, sing at church, sing at, make, do performances at family dinners and whatnot. We all have annoying nieces and nephews that do that. <laughs> um, but their family's like... Yeah, but they're also not the run that. Yeah, they're... Yeah. <laughs> the future run The future run They're not Beyonce and Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> in the Knowles household. Um, Wait, is her sister Kelly? No, that, it's not her sister, but they were best friends when they were little oh, kids. Oh, okay. So they were always together I performing. Like, I thought her name was Solange. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but Kelly was always around. Kelly I Roland. didn't yeah, know that. They, she, Kelly was one of the... We gotta do Destiny's Child. <clears throat> Kelly was one of the original four... In the group. Yeah. And then two mm-hmm. got kicked out. And yeah. then we got another one. And then that, she got kicked yeah, out. And then we got Michelle. Because that music video was not who sang the song. No. Mm-mm. Woo. Yeah. We'll cover it, though. We'll say we'll my we'll name then. <laughs> okay. But anyway, not the point. Point is, very similar situation. You've got mm-hmm. a young family in New York City that is really, like, inspiring these girls to keep, keep singing. Keep be- trying to be a star. The three... Uh, formed a group called the Darling Sisters, which would later become known as the Ronettes. They performed locally while attending George Washington High School. Estelle was like the fashioner of their look as she had a job at the cosmetic counter at Macy's in New York. I love that. Estelle is super soft-spoken. When she speaks in interviews, I wonder if she suffered from like serious stage fright Mm, and or mm -hmm. like something else is going on because she like talks like this and like won't get very close to the microphone Mm -hmm. and i'm like i that's weird for a famous singer (laughs) like i don't understand (laughs) um they found out that people could regularly perform at the peppermint lounge which was a popular night spot in manhattan the birthplace of the twist and of go-go dancing everybody famous goes there and new york is um a little bit different i think than la like in la celebrities are 
like walking around and going to places a lot but they're kind of treated like celebrities uh-huh. like in new york it's like get out of my fucking way yeah. <laughs> i see a celebrity on the street it's like yeah they're sitting on the subway with me and i don't care yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> like please get them out of here yeah oh i'm sorry you saw alec baldwin today great yeah good for you i don't care so um they go down to the peppermint lounge they're like waiting in line they put their hair in these huge beehives and dress in these cute clothes they're teenage girls and their mom's like while you're waiting in line make sure you hold cigarettes so like you <laughs> people want to like shoot, pick me you know right into the club i love that so they are allowed in to perform eventually and they got a regular residency at the peppermint club they started by just dancing and it's a bar not a stage <laughs> three boys and three girls and they're like alternating boy girl boy girl boy girl and they're dancing on stage and one night ronnie reaches over and grabs the mic from this boy joey just messing around and like starts singing and the club was like keep doing that make that a permanent permanent part of the show ronnie said that it was just the place to be in New York. Like one night she'd be singing and Charlton Heston would come in. And then another night she'd be singing and Ava Gardner would come oh in. And it was just her life. Yeah. That's all the time. Crazy. It is. And she's still like a teen in these Yeah, years? teen, early 20s. She's very young. Um, so the Ronettes become super popular live singing group all around New York during the early 60s. They're initially signed by Cool Picks Records, and there's no success with the couple of singles that they record. Mm-hmm. Then they track down Phil Spector. They like search for him who signs them to his label. He brought them success on the charts with their very big hit from 1963, Be My Baby, which peaked at number two on the top 100. And everyone has heard this song. If you think you haven't heard this song, literally just YouTube it right now, and you'll be like, oh, that's in every... It's like every um, school dance Uh movie. (laughs) Like like every movie set in like the 60s. Yeah, it's on in the background. It's on in the background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's in everything i was doing research uh for this and my 11 year old came in and was like i know that song yeah <laughs> like, of course does, you do it's a perfect song yeah yeah and phil specter is very interesting because are you going to get into like his background in music i'm not going to get into his background in music okay. i'm just going to get into their relationship so go yeah. for it because he is very famous i believe if i'm getting this right for creating the wall of sound that was like his invention so like the reason music started sounding better recorded mm-hmm. <laughs> was because of him so he is like so insanely influential in the world of music and like i had never heard of him before i heard ronnie Spector's story and then i was like He's a monster. Yeah. Um, but, he but was he's like, very famous in the music scene during this time. He's like why teenagers like staple egg cartons to their walls to yeah. try to get like good acoustics. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to help. He figured out how to like bottle sound. Exactly. The way mm-hmm. he wanted it. Mm-hmm. So he is a, his ear, what he could hear. He was a genius in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's fucking insane. Yeah. Um, okay. So that is a hit. They follow that up with a string of top 40 hits over the next few years. By 1965, in England, they were voted the third highest singing group behind the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. <laughs> like, people in England are like, we like the Beatles, we like the Rolling Stones, and we like the Ronettes. Insane. Like, this group of women from New York. That's bananas. That's crazy yeah. to me. I love it, though. <laughs> okay, thank you, England. Um, what's interesting, though, is... Um, 
there was an entire group of them at first. We think of the Ronettes as like this group of three girls, but there's kind of like this big band feeling still Mm -hmm. because it was like from the 50s into the 60s. There's background singers and musicians and other women that are part of this Ronettes group. And they start recording for Phil, and he's recording everybody, but he hears Ronnie's voice and comes screaming into the studio, that's it, that's the one, that's the voice, that's what we need. So Phil uh, and the musicians wrote all of the music and the lyrics. Phil single-handedly had to teach Ronnie the songs because she couldn't read music and she couldn't play any instruments. So he would be like, sing, be my, and then she would... Just parrot him pretty Mm -hmm. much what he was doing. He was a stickler. Anything he said went in his studio. And from the point when he said, Ronnie, that's it. She was never allowed to sing background ever again. Whoa. The rest of the group was relegated to background. And she was the lead singer on all the tracks. So she would sit outside of the recording booth and watch all of her friends giggle and laugh behind the glass and like talk and have fun and record and then she would have to go and do her part alone yeah because i think that's also what his technique was was like Mm -hmm. layering the sound oh yeah instead of like everybody get in the booth at at once Uh like he would layer the sound on top of one thing at a time Mm -hmm. and it's also hard for her because if she would like walk out of the recording studio to get a cup of coffee because she's not doing anything she's just sitting there Phil would stop the whole recording. Oh, my God. Everything stop. We won't continue until Ronnie comes back. So then she starts sitting there and watching and just stops leaving the room. She starts sending other people to get her drinks and, like, coffee and stuff. It just elevates her, like, even higher. People are like, oh, you must think, like, you're so special that, like, somebody else has to get your coffee. And she's like, I literally can't get it myself or I get in trouble. Yeah, and it's so funny because it doesn't seem like her sister and her cousin ever really held this against her. I think her sister and her cousin knew Phil Spector was a nut job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can definitely see how there is, like, a jealousy vibe. Like, that very similar to... Beyonce, very similar to Justin Timberlake. There is a standout of the group, and that's who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Harry Styles, if we're bringing (laughs) it to the present. There's always a standout. Okay. Um, So then they got their chance to open for the Beatles on tour. It's 1965. Mm. But they, the Ronettes, would have to perform without their lead singer, Ronnie. Uh, Elaine, another woman in the group, their cousin, stood in for her as the third singer. But the reason is uh, Phil had forbidden Ronnie to go on tour with the Beatles. She's not allowed to go to sing with the most famous singing group. A, a girl that he signed yeah, to because his of her record voice. label. She's not allowed to go. That's so fucking annoying. Yeah. So the group's last song as a group hit the charts in 1966, and they broke up in 1967 following the European tour. Ronnie and Phil got married in 1968, and a controlling relationship became worse. She began going by Ronnie Spector, but also completely withdrew from the spotlight because Phil prohibited her from performing and limited all of her recordings. But Phil went ahead and signed a production deal with A&M Records and released her record credited as the Ronettes featuring the voice of Veronica. So now he's releasing these other things, but all the girls are kind of cut out of the equation. Huh. 
and she's married to him. And then he's like re-recording some of these where she is both the lead vocals and the backup vocals. So he's taking her back to the booth and layering literally only her voice. Okay. Phil kept many of the group's unreleased songs over the years, so he had the rights to all of them, just kind of like in his back pocket. And this is the recording thing that Taylor Swift has fought so ardently against. How, like, she doesn't own any of her music, even though she literally wrote the music and the lyrics and performed it. Yeah, that's so crazy. got all of it, and she now has to re-record everything just to own it. (sighs) Crazy. Mm. So in 1971, Phil is working with George Harrison and Ronnie recorded at Abbey Road Studios. Whoa. Um, And they do some like solo work together and um, George Harrison is releasing songs for Apple Records. They record singles. Didn't do well. But George Harrison uses some of the background tracks later in his own music. Then John Lennon gets interesting in working with Phil Spector, and they use Ronnie um, in some of the music. He's like, oh, her music speaks to me. And Phil's like, yeah, it's my music, pretty much. Also, Phil Spector's not cute. I also need everybody to know this. He's like a squirrely. He looks crazy. He's a squirrely looking man. I don't like. I. That's also like part of the frustrating thing yeah. is like if he was hot, like I would, I would be get like, it. Okay, maybe get a it. little bit, but right. he's not even cute. We see this story over and over again, though. Like dis- disenfranchised women who mm-hmm. marry their talent agent. Ex- yeah, because mm-hmm. you. It's like the first person who told you you were good and made it yeah. possible. Mm-hmm. And obviously are using the power dynamic to control you. It happened with Mariah Carey. Mm -hmm. Like it happens with a lot of Kim Kardashian, I think, went through something like that when she was first married. I don't know if that was her exact situation because I don't know. I mean, she's obviously a talented person. I don't want to like throw shade at her, but it wasn't like they were using her for music or anything. Kim Kardashian? Yeah, she was married like well before any of these people. Really young. When when did she get married to that base basketball player? Yeah, before that. She was married really young. I didn't know that. Yeah. Before Keeping Up with the Kardashians even came out. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, crazy. Anyway. um, So, George Harrison, during some of those London sessions, like, records songs with Ronnie, actually. But they, they record a full album, but it's never released, even mm. though it's planned. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. Because the Beatles released literally everything they did. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Why are you holding it back? You have a thousand records. <laughs> One day... In 1972, Ronnie's mom swings by the house and says, Ronnie, ask Phil if you can go for a walk. Don't wear your shoes. He'll know. Once they get past the date, the gate to the mansion, they start jogging. She left everything. Her kids, her cars, all she wanted was freedom. They had only been married for four years. He had taken everything from her. Her freedom, her career, her songs, everything. Because I've heard, like, a little bit about her being, like, trapped in that house. Yes. It is bananas. It is. so and it's so scary. As it turns out, she released a memoir in 1990 that detailed a lot of this information. Mm-hmm. So Ronnie and Phil started having an affair soon after they were signed to the record label. She did not know that he was married. He was married <sighs> when they started having their affair. Um And her as a woman of color in this time is being treated really poorly because of this. Like, they would meet in a hotel room. And one day she left his hotel room and got arrested for prostitution. 
because they were like, why would this woman of color be coming out of Phil Spector's room? And she had to like call him and be like, come and pick me up and get me out of the police department. Oh, my God. Yeah. After Phil divorced his wife, they married at Beverly Hills City Hall and lived in Beverly Hills. Together, they adopted Dante Phillip their son and then two years later for christmas phil surprised her with a gift of two more adopted children that is, so is that a christmas present no i think it's crazy when people buy each other cars for christmas yeah. <laughs> bringing or dogs. or dogs like i'm sorry like you that's a huge that, commitment that's a lifetime commitment well, especially because it's Especially the dog thing, because it's usually like, you know, like a husband giving it to a wife. And the caregiving is the woman's job. Here's this thing that you have to take care of now. Like, Mm -hmm. here you go. (laughs) I saw these kids in some of the interviews and they were like, our, you know, our mom just left and it's not like Phil took care of raising us at all. Oh my God. Like he was just gone. They were just locked in their rooms too after their mom left. One of the twin boys was like, I don't understand why he treated his friends so nice and just treated his family like shit. I was like, that is horrendous to hear. Yeah. Especially because like you're seeing him interact with other people and you're like, why isn't he doing what he does to us, to them? And everybody in the it's music maddening. I, it, there's like, like you said, he's well respected in the yeah. music industry and is just a terror. Yeah. A terror. Mm-hmm. So, um now they have three adopted children uh after two years of marriage ronnie said in her memoir that after their marriage she was subjected to years of psychological torment and he sabotaged her career by forbidding her to perform he apparently surrounded their house with barbed wire Mm. and guard dogs and confiscated her shoes to prevent her from leaving home On the rare occasion she was allowed to go outside of the home, she had to travel with a life-size blow-up person of Phil in her car. So it looked like he was with her. That is psychotic. Psychotic. He also had a golden coffin in the basement with a glass lid. And he would say that he would kill her and display her there forever if she ever tried to leave. Yeah. Like a like a like a Snow White glass see through coffin. What the fuck? That's insane. This is why his first wife was probably like, "Yeah, go ahead, cheat yeah. on me. Oh. I, I'm out. Good, yeah. good. Listen, no first oh wife, throw us a warning next time. Throw Ronnie Seriously. a warning. Send her like a card in the mail or something. Like my husband's insane. Oh my god. So she be, she's not like big into drugs like other people from this rock and roll era, but she begins to like drink and like camp it up so that she can attend alcoholic anonymous aa um meetings to just escape the house to just be out for a little bit this is a workaround i know become an alcoholic just so i can get out of the fucking house right i'm sure it was also like helping her deal with the coping that was her life coping with these three children that are apparently also locked in their rooms like crazy this is when her mom stepped in and helped to free her from the mansion barefoot um without belongings and ronnie said i knew if i didn't leave i was gonna die there i was going to die there in the divorce ronnie forfeit all future recordings earnings everything because phil threatened her with a hitman so she couldn't even really argue for herself and remember she's a woman of color in the 1970s like people aren't listening to her and he's well respected Mm -hmm. so he's using this 
She ended up with $25,000, a used car, and a monthly alimony of um, $2,500 a month for five years. She also later confessed that Phil often pulled a gun on her and threatened to kill her unless she surrendered custody of their children. So this is Ronnie's life. Jesus. So when she gets out of this marriage, she tries to reform the Ronettes as Ronnie Spector and the Ronettes. They release a few singles, but they fail mm. on the charts. She goes back recording solo acts with Tomcat Records. She tries to rebuild her career, obviously keeping the last name Spectre because that's what she's been performing as. Um, and that's really the hidden way that changing your last name damages women. Because if you have a divorce, then you can't, um, you have to reclaim your identity in a new way and people have to know who you are. Um, but Phil would hire lawyer after lawyer to prevent her from singing or performing any of her previous songs. He would say they're my songs, which he did write them, you know, to be fair. She was the performer. Um, she worked with Bruce Springsteen. She tried covering Billy Joel. Um, in her book, she recounted several aborted attempts to recapture mainstream success through the 70s and 80s, but she was perceived as the oldest by that point. Like, she'd been gone too long. She was out of touch. Her very, very famous song, like we all know, it's like when we just talked about it at the beginning. It's in every old movie. It's in every old song. Like, it's right. old. In 1982, she did remarry Jonathan Greenfield, and they ended up having two sons and living in Connecticut. But she did get a resurgence of airplay finally in the late 80s because she was featured on somebody else's top five song, and she was in their music video. And this is another song you've heard, but her silhouette is in the background. She's got big hair. She's actually singing in the music video. And in the music video, she gets to say the phrase, be my baby, which then everybody's like, I know that girl. So now she's getting airplay again. People are picking up on the song. Um, but mostly in the 80s. Wait, what, what song was it? Oh, my God. I didn't write down the title. <laughs> oh, Take Me Home Tonight, Eddie Money. Oh, my Eddie God. Money, yeah. okay. So it's Eddie Money, Take Me Home Tonight. And in the chorus, he says, just like Ronnie sang, and she says, be my little baby. Oh, my In the song. Yes. She's wearing a white tank top and, like, overalls and has big 80s hair and kind of, like, flips it. It's really, really cool. It's a great song. And it, like, just seeing her in that little splash of the music video made me feel so good for her. Yeah. Made me happy. Mm. Okay. But mostly what she got famous for in the 80s is she would perform Christmas songs in New York every holiday. So Ronnie Spector's Christmas party became a staple in the city. I love that. It's something everybody goes to every year. She does get the original members of the Ronettes together in the late 80s to sue Phil Spector Good. for non-payment of royalties and for unpaid income made from licensing Ronette's music. Mm. They sued him for $10 million, and this case drug on for a decade. Oh. It wasn't settled until 2001 what? when a New York court announced a verdict in favor of the Ronettes ordering Phil Spector to pay $2.6 million 
back in royalties. Oh but then the judgment was overturned in a higher court saying that Phil had unlimited rights via the original contract that they all signed and that Ronnie specifically gave up rights in the divorce. Oh. But then he was eventually forced to pay $1 million. So that's it. To the three girls. Just like nothing to him. One million dollars. Nothing to him. Honestly, nothing to them after paying taxes on it. It's like not a lot of money of the five decades of of, um, royalties that they lost on their voices and their performance. Like I said, in 1990, she released her memoir, Be My Baby, How I Survived Mascara, Miniskirts, and Madness. (laughs) The book was labeled by Rolling Stones as one of the greatest rock biographies of all time time and it is good it's a cool cool book in the early 2000s again ronnie kept making efforts to remake herself in 2004 the ronettes were inducted into the vocal group hall of fame in 2007 they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame which i'm gonna be on two days and i'm so excited um between 2003 and 2015 she was releasing songs and christmas albums but in 2016, she released her first album of new material in like over a couple oh decades. God. It featured versions of her songs from British Invasion. It peaked at number six on the Billboard charts. Um, and she released another song with the Ronettes, making it the first Ronette single in decades. In 2018, Ronnie appeared in a really special music documentary about Amy Winehouse called Back to Black based on her final studio album before her passing. Amy's album had been inspired by listening to 60s girl groups like the Ronettes, and Ronnie was specifically called out by Amy as inspiration for her look. It's why Amy had the big hair and the cat eyes. She was trying to look like Ronnie Spector. In 2020, Deadline reported that actress Zendaya is going to portray Ronnie Spector in a biopic (gasps) adapted from her memoir. That's so exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait to see her in that role. And in 2021, the Ronettes returned to the top 10 for the first time in 58 years with a recording of Sleigh Ride. They love their Christmas songs, man. (laughs) Some people just really hit the Christmas songs. After a short battle with cancer... Ronnie Spector died January 12th, 2022, at the age of 78. Two months before her death, she she completed an updated version of her memoir. Following her death, the BBC released a compilation tribute to Ronnie. Um, And that's her story. She, like, just died last year. Yeah, I remember. After going through all of that. What an amazing woman. And, like, what an amazing story. Yeah, really, to survive all that. Like, the image of her running down the street barefoot, I, like, can't get out of my brain. I can't get out of my brain that, like, you would go down in your basement to do laundry and there's a gold coffin waiting there for you. Just all of it. That's horrendous. It's crazy. And, like, that you don't even have your kids anymore. I don't know. Like, the fact that she never stopped fighting is so inspirational, but yeah. also like so damning that like somebody could fight so hard and nobody was like, let me give you a hand. Yeah. Like I can see that this man is torturing you. Yeah. Except for her mother, which go. Yeah. Really. Ronnie's mom. <laughs> Ronnie's mom has got it going on. All right. All right. We need more drinks. We need more drinks. More cookies. A very different story. Good. <laughs> Good. That's exactly what I need. Hello, Anne of Green Gables.
cocktail. What a bright, <laughs> fun cocktail. This even looks like it could either be like a brunch drink yeah. or like a Christmas cocktail because it's like white, red, <gasps> yeah, and green. It it's is. so lovely. Oh, yes. So, uh, it, red I, hair, green gables. Exactly. <laughs> All of it's happening in this one cocktail. I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. I just wanted to make something that kind of felt like you could be sitting on the porch at Green Gables overlooking, you know, the coast at Prince Edward Island and just like having a lovely time. I mean, that's the only thing you can have in Canada <laughs> is a lovely time. I'm spilling. Oh. So this is called Green with an E. So G-R-E-E-N-E. Perfect. <laughs> it is a white wine, green tea infused sangria. So it is white wine. I did Arizona green tea because, of course, um, gin, honey, lemon juice, lime juice. And then you put lemons and limes in it. You put strawberries in it. Let it all marinate. I started this this morning. And then you put it all in your glass with ice. And then you top it off with ginger beer. Beautiful. Cheers. Cheers. So good. Mm. Light, airy. I love this. Delightful. I mean, to have white wine and gin and ginger beer ugh. on top of the simple syrup and the ugh, very good. Mm. Very good. Delightful. Best was, one in a while. I will say it was annoying as hell to get the honey in the because I just I had half a bottle of white wine. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I'll just make it in the bottle, you right. know, so then I'm trying to like shove the strawberries and the lemons like in the top of the wine bottle and I'm trying to pour the honey in there and it's getting everywhere. Yeah. A nightmare, but delicious. Tastes great. Um, <laughs> so what do you know about Anne of Green Gables? <laughs> okay, so a gable is the pointy part of a roof, um, or the triangle part in front of the pointy part. Uh, Anne is a like young middle school aged girl. I believe she's an orphan. I believe she lives in Canada. I think. Uh, I think her parents wanted to adopt a boy, um, and I think they're farmers. But that's, like, the, the gist of the story. <laughs> I, I don't know, like, about her adventures or, like, what. I never read Anne of Green Gables. I think it turned into a series. It is a series. But it is a classic. Yeah. It's, it's a classic of children's literature. Yes. That's what I know about Anne. It's totally a classic. But I am of the school of thought that especially girls my age, like, you were either of Anne of Green Gables girl or, or Nancy were... Drew. <laughs> I was going to say, or Secret Garden. I was a Secret, I was a Garden, Secret Garden girl, girl as well. I, I read that. I identified with Mary Lennox so hard. How could you And not? frankly, Anne talks too much. <laughs> so I was like, I've never read this. And it's a, it's a free on like audiobooks, a podcast, because it's in the public domain. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to, act. I got, I'm almost done the book actually. I was like, I should probably like get a feel for the book, you know? Yeah. My God, <laughs> this girl talks incessantly. I can't even imagine it being in the written word because it must be four pages of dialogue, dialogue. every time she says anything. I mean, she is and an 11 year old girl. <laughs> She's an 11 year old girl. And like, we are going to get into it. But I, all I could picture when I was reading it was like, you know, in Secret Garden, mm -hmm. when Mary Lennox is being picked up at the train station. Sure. She's in all black, Mary Mary, and all the kids are singing Mary Mary, quite contrary to her, and she is just so silent. And I was just praying for Mary Lennox's silence. Because <laughs> again, I was a secret garden girl. I also loved uh, The Little Princess. 
and Nancy Drew. Uh huh. Nancy Drew, I we did a lot of in my house. Yeah, I think I like more of just like the stoic, like less emotional. The Wednesday girls. Adams, yes, of the girls. I, I also loved Wednesday Adams. Yeah. But yeah, I think I like Anne is very, very emotional. I was a witch of Blackbird Pond girl. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, if we're gonna be talking about books, that was the one I loved. At one point in the book, I'm not kidding, Anne finds out some like good news or whatever, and she goes, "Ah, oh, I was just in the depths of despair, and now I wouldn't trade places with an angel." <laughs> oh my god, get over yourself! I was like, "This girl's bipolar, Casey. Like, she's not okay. <laughs> um, she's like really needs so, some I, mental health counseling." I feel really bad because I feel like this is like some people's like favorite favorite childhood book, and like I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying Secret Garden is better. I'm just saying if you read it as an adult, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> no, no, I'm actually very much enjoying it. Like, I am going to finish it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just, like, I didn't grow up with Anne. Uh, but I do find her very interesting. And mm-hmm. she's one of the few literary characters we see age into a middle-aged woman. Interesting. Which is fascinating. Yeah. So I got most of this from Wikipedia and just listening to the um, book from a podcast hosted by Mary-Kate Wiles. Um Okay, let's get into it. Do it up. Anne Shirley was born on March 5th, 1866 in the fictional town of Bolingbrook, Nova Scotia. I also want to make it clear. I'm going to kind of go back and forth between like kind of like talking like the way the book goes and then just kind of going into like characters as a whole. So this is also not going to be linear. Do whatever the hell you want. Uh, but it's our she, show. Yeah. <laughs> but when she was just three months old, her parents died of typhoid fever, leaving her orphaned. She has no other family, so she is adopted by the Shirley family housekeeper, Mrs. Thomas. But after the, after the death of her husband, Mrs. Thomas cannot keep Anne around. So she sends her off to live with another family, the Hammond family. But they treat her more like a servant than a member of the family because Mrs. Hammond has three sets of twins. <laughs> so Anne is basically like adopted to just be like a nanny for them. So she is just like helping out around the house, um, you know, with more than just like regular chores. Right. Um, and I think she spends about like four years with them. Then when Mr. Hammond died, just lots of dead men in Anne's wake. Sure. Um, Mrs. Hammond was unable to care for so many children, so she split up her biological children between the, all the relatives. But Anne, of course, was just sent to an orphanage. So soon she finds herself being adopted yet again by Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert. So these are two older siblings. I also did not realize that about the book. The people who adopt her are siblings, not husband and wife, mm. which I thought was interesting. And this, of course, is where we begin the book. So the book opens with a chapter called Mrs. Rachel Lind is Surprised. <laughs> I was like, who is this person? <laughs> Rachel Lind is the busybody neighbor. And through her eyes, we see that she is fascinated by the morning happenings over at Green Gables. She's like, well, Matthew doesn't normally go into town this time of year. And if he does, he's going to buy seeds, which you wouldn't buy right now. And if he did go into town, too, he wouldn't be wearing, like, a starched collar shirt. And then he brought out the good mare. And, like, what is that about? Like, he must be going on a long trip because he's doing X, Y. Like, she's Mamie James. She's Mamie James. She is, like, I cannot understand what the fuck is going on. And I... They didn't have the internet. They had... They were watching one another. It was people watching season. I loved this part of the book, actually. (laughs) 
because her thought process, she goes, I just can't figure it out. I just can't figure it out. What's going on? And she goes, I got to go over. <laughs> so she actually goes over to Marilla and she goes, where did your brother go? Like, I'm so curious. Um, so I just, I thought it was a really way, great way to start the book. Um, because it also kind of sets up that this town of Avonlea on Prince Edward Island in Canada was very predictable up until the very day that Anne arrived, which I kind of love setting that up of like, even before she came, people were like, something is changing here. (laughs) I am the storm bitches. Exactly. (laughs) So of course, Matthew Cuthbert, the brother is on his way to pick up the orphan that he and his sister have recently invested in. (laughs) But when she arrives, she is greeted with confusion from Matthew and eventually grave disappointment from Marilla because she was supposed to be a boy. They had requested a boy to come and help them out with the farm store, the farm stuff, because they're getting older. And a girl is basically, as Marilla says, useless to them. Damn. Yeah. Rude. Matthew is a shy, middle-aged, awkward man. So when he sees Anne, he's just like, all right, come on home. And he goes, I'll just let Marilla deal with this because I don't want to tell this girl that she's suddenly like back to the orphanage. Like I just can't handle it (laughs) on the way home. However, Anne and her persistent chatter charms him and he finds that he really likes Anne, but his stern sister is not so easily swayed. Marilla openly expresses how this was a mistake, uh, which obviously upsets Anne. And she's basically like, all right, well get to bed and we'll return you tomorrow. So she goes to Mrs. Spencer's house, who she's the one that kind of like went to the orphanage to pick Anne up for them because apparently she was like also picking up an orphan girl for herself. I don't know what's going on on this island, but it's okay. madness. Listen, Canada, calm down. It with made your me orphans. think of like, like apparently like in like Baltimore City, like you're not even allowed to like adopt a cat if you're buying it for mousing. Right. Like they, they ask you that. They're like, are you buying this for pest control? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they'll be like, you can't, you can't adopt a pet if you have a job. Yeah. It's like, well, how am I going to take care of this pet exactly. if I don't have a job? They're like, who wants a kid? Um, <laughs> and so she goes to Mrs. Spencer and she goes, hey, you fucked up. I told you I wanted a boy. And she goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What a terrible mistake. She goes, you know what though? This might work out because one of my neighbors is looking for a young girl to help her with her kids and the housework. And oh my gosh, she's coming up the road right now. <laughs> This woman is even more rude and more stern than Marilla. And Marilla sees what a sad life it would be for Anne just to go into this home and be treated like a servant again. Because she's only 11. And Marilla has like this flash of like, I cannot do that to this poor girl as annoying as she is. <laughs> so she changes her mind as and much Anne of a comes not home with her. <laughs> that she is. Matthew is delighted and Marilla is still wary, but she's slowly warming up to Anne. But there are some things about Anne that bother Marilla. She is rather flighty and she has a very active imagination. So she's a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. But maybe too active because she will get distracted mid-task. And I also want to say about this book, I have never heard the word imagine or imagination or scope of imagination so much in my life. She'd be like, well, I couldn't stay in the orphanage because it's not a, it's not a place that, you know, you can even have a scope of an imagination. Like she imagines herself out of every situation. Like 
she'll literally be talking and be like, well, I tried to ima- like, you know, I was on the road and I was trying to imagine this. And I was trying to imagine that. And like, I've always wanted to imagine my red hair away, but I just can't do that. Even my imagination is not that strong. Like so much imagination. I hate when authors get stuck on a word or a certain phrase. What's the one that you hate that Stephanie Meyer uses? Facade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you use facade too much. It's not a common word. But yeah, so she's got this really active imagination. So like she will literally be like, and go wash the dishes. And then she'll come back and she's like, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, sorry, Marilla. I was imagining that I was a fairy queen and I was in the forest with all my fairy friends. And she will go on for 10 minutes at a time. So, and she's talking so fast that it's hard to keep up and follow what she's saying. Marilla is annoyed with her, especially with her pension to also rename everything in the house, including <laughs> herself. She asks if she can be called Cordelia because it is a much more romantic, beautiful name. Of course. But Marilla refuses. And she goes, okay, well, at least call me Anne with an E because if you don't pronounce it with an E, then like I'll know. I just want to imagine that you're imagining my name with an E on the end. <laughs> I hate this girl. <laughs> So she is like a very like endearing like I'm being really fucking hard on her right now. Um, But yeah, so she even renamed like this like bouquet of geraniums. She renames them Bonnie and she's like, it's okay that I did that. Right. Like you haven't named the geraniums yet. (laughs) I actually find that funny. It was really (laughs) fucking funny. funny. She she was like, I don't want to step on your toes if you've like already named them, but I'm going to name them Bonnie. (laughs) Oh, God. When she sees a road lined with apple trees in bloom, she names the road the White Way of Delight. And when spying a <laughs> pond at the Berry Homestead, she christens it the Lake of Shining Waters. Mm-hmm. She does not hide the fact that she loves beautiful things. She dreams of beautiful white dresses that she'll wear when she's older. <laughs> um, but for now, she simply dreams of a simple dress with poofed sleeves. All the girls are wearing them, but Marilla only makes her wear the plainest dresses with unpoofed sleeves. <laughs> You sound like white girl problems. <laughs> this is just one of the many things, though, that makes Anne feel self-conscious, her dresses. She does not think that she is beautiful. She thinks that she's rather ugly and that her red hair is disgusting. But if someone else calls her ugly or makes fun of her red hair, she absolutely loses her mind. She flips out on the neighborhood busybody, Rachel Lind. <laughs> and, of course, a boy in her class named Gilbert Blythe. <laughs> Gilbert sits by her in their little schoolhouse, and he is described as a handsome young boy with curly brown hair, and we know he is very intelligent and witty. But when he tugs at Anne's braids and says carrots, she whips around on him and breaks her slate over his head. Good job, (laughs) Anne! Yay! So that gets her in trouble. And then... (laughs) Sure. As it should. Mm -hmm. You can't break your slate over people's heads. No, you cannot. Um, And so her teacher's mad at her for that. He's mad because she'll come in with, like, flowers in her hat and whatever. And Why is he mad about the flowers? Also, Mr. Phillips is a fucking creep. Also, Gilbert, calm down. Yeah. Mr. Phillips spends most of the book flirting with one of the 16-year-old students, Prissy Andrews, which is so inappropriate. It is, but it doesn't sound out of the realm of possibility it's for, like, the 1880s. Not, but I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. Because she is a student. Like, I know that, like, they didn't have the same, like, rules as we do no, now. No, that, that's absurd. That's absurd. Like, yeah. it's not like she's, like, another teacher in the school who happens to be 16. Right. She is a student. And she's always like, yeah, well, you know, Mr. Phillips is back in the class again. Like, you know, paying a lot of attention to Prissy. 
I hate it. Um, but she gets mad at the teacher for only punishing her when the entire class is late to school one day. Um, and just like all of these things bring out some of her, some more of her negative traits and is very hot tempered. She's also very stubborn. So after these incidents, she just stops going to school for a few weeks. She goes, I could never see Gilbert Blythe again. I hate Mr. Phillips. Like I'm done with it. But her love for her best friend, Diana Barry, or her bosom friend, as Anne likes to call her, pulls her back to school. Also, that's another phrase I never want to hear again. I hate bosom friend. Bosom friend. It's so stupid. And she says it incessantly. <laughs> Diana is the only girl of Anne's age who lives close to Green Gables, and Anne admires Diana for being pretty, with black hair and a flawless complexion, and for her amiable disposition. So this is another very big character, Diana, because Diana is just like the complete opposite of Anne in looks and, you know, demeanor in demeanor. And her um, she has no imagination. <laughs> like she'll be like, Anne, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you think up these things. And like she'll be like, <gasps> this is really funny. <laughs> so anyways, um. But Diana and Anne's friendship is nearly ruined when Anne has a tea party and accidentally gets her drunk off of current wine. She thinks it's raspberry cordial. <laughs> oh my gosh, she got her friends plastered mm-hmm. because she spiked the tea. Mm-hmm. Anne. Accidentally, Anne. Diana's strict mother is furious with her and refuses to let the girls play together. Even when, like, Marilla is really harsh, really strict. But she will admit when she is wrong. Like, there's a couple of times in the story where, like, there's a misunderstanding with Anne. This happens a lot. And she, like, with this raspberry cordial situation, she goes, you know what? She goes, I told Anne it was in the cabinet, and it was actually in the basement. She goes, I told her the wrong location. So she grabbed the red bottle that of liquid that was in the cabinet. Like, that was my fault. And, like... Diana's mother is like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, she's never playing with my girl again. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, so then Anne is so upset, and then she makes Diana give her a locket of her hair so she can keep with her forever. She's so dramatic. She's like, Diana, if you would please give me a tress of your hair, and then I can wrap it around and put it in a locket, and I'll wear the locket until the day I die. I'll be buried in it, and I guess I'm going to die soon because I will die without your company. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny because it's just so not in our nature to be like that. No. (laughs) But I do, like, understand the vibe of, like, a middle school-aged girl mm -hmm. who is just dramatic about everything. She's so dramatic. Um, but she is soon restored to Miss, Mrs. Barry's good graces, however, because she ends up saving the life of Diana's little sister, Minnie May. Minnie May has an attack of the croup, which Anne was able to cure with a bottle of Ipecac, which she knew what to do because she was like, I took care of six twins for four years. She goes, croup was everywhere. And this was always what we did. And it is like this great moment of like, she comes into the house and she's like, okay, you put, keep putting more on the fire. Diana, you need to boil some water and get me some hot towels. She's like, somebody's about to have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) But she comes in and like takes control of this situation in like this really great way that I actually love. Very commanding. Very commanding. Cause I think like, obviously she's very outspoken, which like sometimes can be annoying, but then at other times it really helps her because she doesn't doubt herself. 
she goes, I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so she's like, if I'm going to save this baby's life, this is how I'm going to do it. Perfect. And the doctor comes in like hours later when he comes in from town and he goes, oh, yeah, this child would have been dead if it wasn't for Anne's action. Anne with an E. Anne good job. E. Come on. Um, but yeah, but the, uh, <laughs> Anne grows slowly throughout the book. Uh, she gets another lesson in not letting her pride get the better of her when she breaks her ankle falling off a roof on a dare. Sure. <laughs> and then she gets a lesson on vanity when she tries to get rid of her red hair by dyeing it black. It backfires tremendously and she ends up with green hair that then needs to be cut short to be salvaged. <laughs> but we're not going to just try again to die over it. Nope. Okay. Nope. Cool. But it is funny because she's like, I bought it from the peddler on the road. And Marilla's like, an Italian? And she goes, no, he wasn't Italian. He was a German Jew. <laughs> I was like, this book is What's insane. going on? <laughs> she goes, I told you not to talk to Italians. <laughs> <laughs> but um, You know they always dye your hair green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so like throughout the book, she's learning all these little lessons. But then she's also like, there is some justice for Anne sometimes, which I actually kind of like, you know, because sometimes she'll be like, I really try not to be a wicked girl. And sometimes she's not like sometimes it is just like someone comes in hot and it's like Anne did this terrible thing. And she's like, I actually didn't like, you know, and I think that that's an interesting thing that I don't really see very often in these kinds of books where it's like usually like the kids are always in the wrong. They're mm-hmm. being bad. They're being crazy. But sometimes Anne is not. <laughs> um. And then like, and I like that Marilla apologizes to her sometimes, you know, where she's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry like, I blamed I made you a for that. I didn't do that. Yep. Um. So yeah. Anyways, she's doing all this stuff, learning her lesson, breaks her ankle. Everybody in town misses her, so they come to visit her. It's very sweet. And then Matthew, who has always loved Anne, but like he, it's like the way it's described in the book, Matthew cannot talk to women but he like feels comfortable talking to Anne for some reason Hmm. and it's like actually kind of sad because he's like yeah I always just like whenever I see a woman I always picture her like giggling at me and like laughing at me he's like but like Anne I feel comfortable with because she feels the silence you know so like I don't have to say anything to her because Mm -hmm. she's talking nonstop. um (laughs) but it's also interesting though because he's never part of the raising like Marilla takes care of like you know raising Anne and he just kind of gets to like come in and spoil her so it really is like he's like the uncle Mm -hmm. figure um but he has always loved her he always he tries to spoil her whenever he can and so eventually he buys her the dress with puffed sleeves not only showing her that he cares but also that he listens to her which I also think is very important because like he notices things about Anne, like her and the other girls are like playing one time and he goes like, why does Anne look different? And he goes, oh, it's because like all their dresses are cute and hers is ugly. <laughs> so he buys her a dress. That's really sweet. But like, I, I know everybody can picture that poof dress sleeve that mm. you look so good in as a kid. What is it? Because poofy sleeves are not good when you're an adult. Absolutely not. It well, does not get better. I've never been able to pull them off because I have such broad sol- shoulders. It's um, got to be either avant-garde or nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, but yeah, so her and Matthew are always on good terms. Um, but one of the biggest shifts in the book is Marilla. 
Marilla comes to love Anne like her own daughter, and the love only grows throughout the books, even if Anne drives her crazy. But being the strict, sensible person she is, she tends to keep it inside and tries not to show Anne um, and her true affection for her. <laughs> Soon in the book, three years has gone by. I also didn't realize that, that like she really grows up in this book. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like just when she was like maybe like 11 to 13. Um, so in the book, three years has gone by. And she is still treating Gilbert Blythe very coldly. And literally all he said to her was carrots. And it, <laughs> it really bugs me. Um, even like in one scene, like she is drowning in a river and he comes and rescues her. And he goes like, Anne, like, I'm really sorry about the carrots comment from three years ago. He goes, but I would love to just like start over and be friends. And she goes, absolutely not. <laughs> A girl holds a grudge. She holds a fucking grudge. And after that one, she like was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Like, maybe I'm being a jerk. But maybe I'm being a huge asshole. It just like really bugs me that she like does not let up. But they are. I can in- understand that though. Remember yeah. when you're like a kid and somebody says something to you and it sticks in your brain forever oh, and you yeah. still think about it? Like mm-hmm. I could say That's that. That's true. But but the good thing about their non-friendship is that they become intellectual rivals in school which i think is very interesting she's super smart she's very very smart even though she's not good at geometry so she says (laughs) but her and gilbert like so like you get your name written up on the blackboard like at what whoever got the top grades and her and gilbert are always like at the top together and Mm. she's like the only girl to get good grades like that Mm. so it's kind of nice because he gives her someone to like kind of push her and make her focus she's like, well, I wanted to just sit there and imagine, but I knew that if I didn't study, then Gilbert Blythe would have gotten his name on the board ahead of mine, and I can't let that happen. I wanted to sit and imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I've never. I've never said that. Never. I'm always like, get me out of my brain. I hate <laughs> it here. <laughs> this is a prison. <laughs> this is a prison. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so she's really, really smart, and then they get a new teacher, because I guess Mr. Phillips is off marrying his students or whatever, and <laughs> Miss St- it's this woman named Miss Stacy, and she sees all this potential in Anne, which is like the best kind, she's like a Miss Honey from Matilda, like she's like, you are so fucking smart and intelligent, she goes, I think that you could like really go to college and become a teacher and like do something. And she goes, also, like, you're a really good writer. You should foster, like, put your um, your crazy imagination and, like, write down your stories. Don't just let them loose in your head. She goes, write them down and, like, get some of that creativeness out on paper. So she starts doing that. She, like, starts a story club with her little friends. It's very cute. Um, but Anne, eventually, throughout the book, it, you know, because, again, it goes through all these years. I also thought this was interesting because like the first like three fourths of the book, she's like in middle school uh-huh. and then all of a sudden she is like in high school, in college, <laughs> ready to go, ready to go. Rear in. And, and someone was talking about how the book is set up and they're like, well, because each day when you're a little kid does feel like it matters forever. so much. It feels like days last forever. And like every little thing that happens is important to you. But as you're kind of growing up and like, you're not throwing a fit when someone pulls your braid. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, okay. That was just a regular day. Whereas when you're a kid, it's like, days don't really feel like regular days. Every day feels very new. So 
we're fast forwarding. She's applying to Queens College and she's really scared of the entrance exam. Of course. Um, but of course, she's like, well, I have to do good though because Gilbert is also taking it. And of course, they tie for first place. <laughs> so they go off to Queens College together and his presence serves as a comfort, but also an encouragement to keep going and keep competing with him. And thrives at school and ends up finally beating Gilbert, not just tying him, for a four-year scholarship to Redmond University. So this is like big boy school. Right. <laughs> She's thrilled for herself. She's a little sad for Gilbert. But when she goes home, she finds that Matthew and Marilla are not doing well. They are both experiencing health issues. And then there is a run on the bank where they keep their money and they end up losing it everything yikes the shock causes matthew to have a heart attack and die and this is like the first person who ever like really loved Anne. so she is devastated and with them losing their money too it's like marilla doesn't really have a way to keep green gables so Anne is like all right you know what i'm gonna give up the scholarship i'm gonna stay home to help her keep the farm going right but since but then, like, she comes in, she also has to make money to help support everything. And there's only one school in Avonlea. So, and Gilbert has gotten the teaching position there. Mm. So it's either she doesn't work and makes no money, or she has to, like, go all the way out of town, like, which is a crazy commute. So Gilbert gives up his teaching position at Avonlea so that Anne can work there and stay closer to home. And the first book ends with the two shaking hands ending their feud and finally after all of these years becoming friends just now just friends just friends they should just be in friends. love i know why doesn't she be like take my scholarship i'll take this job mm -hmm. and then we'll trade these a we'll couple years these. from now who knows after this book there are many more in the series there's anne of avonlea Anne of the Island, Anne of Windy Poplars, Anne's House of Dreams, Anne of Ingleside, Rainbow Valley, Rilla of Ingleside. And then there was one that was published like a couple of years ago called like Blythe something. But I don't know if that was like an official book. So in the following books, Marilla and Rachel, the nosy neighbor, end up moving in together, which leaves Anne free to go to Redmond College. So she finally goes. She Good. gets her four-year degree. Gilbert goes with her because he's going to be a doctor. And the two get closer and closer. But when he proposes to her, she says no, because she goes, this is an over-the-top romantic love that I've read about in books. She goes, like, I'm waiting for a knight in shining armor. This is just my friend Gilbert. Like, this is friendship, not love. And only when Gilbert almost dies does she realize that she loves him, too, and the two become engaged. Okay, calm down, Anne. But I do love this. He gives her a pearl engagement ring because diamonds have always disappointed her. Because she said, I always read about how beautiful diamonds are. So I expected them to be like purple. And then she was like, that's just clear. <laughs> it's just clear. <laughs> Ew. Transparent. So, but he knew that about her. So he got her pearl. Well, I that's sweet. Really He's really been cute. trailing her since she was like 10. I know. So <gasps> he was probably like obsessed with her hair. He was. And like pulled it and was, was like, oh, it looks like a carrot. It was a compliment. We all I, know that. Literally, I can't handle that that's the only reason. Yeah. You got to like of, push her in a lake or something. Exactly. Cover her in mud. Call her stupid. Uh-huh. Don't really don't. do it up. Honestly. And he, he apologized like immediately. Yeah, he was she like, hit him sorry. in the head with a slate. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, 
Her and Gilbert are married. She becomes a teacher. She becomes a principal of a school. Um, she never becomes a writer, which I thought was surprising. Um, I thought that that was going to be part of her story, but it wasn't. Um, she and Gilbert have two children, but one of them dies, which devastates her. But they get through it together and end up having six more kids. And they have a ton of grandkids. And the series kind of goes on. And her kids and her grandkids take center stage and becomes, you know, less at the forefront, but still an important character. Um, and now she's dealing with things that middle-aged women deal with. Like in Anne of Ingleside, she worries that Gilbert has grown distant. And he, she's like, I just feel like he doesn't love me anymore, which I think can happen to a lot of people. And they've been married for a while. They have kids and they're like, who even am I married to? Like, do they like me? I don't know. And then, like, throughout the book, she realizes that, like, he's like, oh, my gosh, no. He goes, I love you as much as ever. He goes, I just have a patient that's, like, dying because I'm a doctor and yeah. I'm, like, worried about them. It's just, like, I don't know your but, love language. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, trying to figure it out. But for many people, this is what makes Anne Shirley, now Anne Shirley Blythe, so special because she is there with us through every stage and every feeling, even if those feelings are a bit too strong. <laughs> But that was one thing yeah, I did not know about her was that she aged. I didn't know that. Well into adulthood. I assumed that the series was more like Nancy Drew where yeah. she's the same age uh-huh. all the time uh, and just going through multiple adventures. Yeah. But no. And, and I like too that like Anne still keeps her same spirit, but she is growing a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the first Anne of Green Gables book came out in 1908 and it was written by L.M. Montgomery, a Canadian writer who was inspired by notes that she had made as a young girl (laughs) about two siblings who were mistakenly sent an orphan girl instead of a boy that they had requested. And yet they decided to keep her. (laughs) Why would you write that as a child? I don't know. Crazy. Maybe her teacher was like, you should be a writer. Write down all the things in your imagination. Maybe. (laughs) So she wrote it down. (laughs) So she drew upon her own childhood experiences in rural Prince Edward Island, Canada. And when designing Anne, she was inspired by a picture of HOTR gold star alum, Evelyn Nesbitt. Yes! Evelyn! She literally clipped out a picture of Evelyn Nesbitt from a newspaper or like a magazine or something and put it on her wall, taped it up because she said it gave her a sense of Anne's youthful idealism and spirituality. (laughs) Can you believe it? I love Evelyn. Montgomery also said she was inspired by the formula and orphan stories called such because they followed a very predictable formula. So Mm -hmm. these were very popular at the time. I mean, obviously she is not the only red haired orphan. Anne. (laughs) (laughs) no, there's lots of those. There's tons of them. Um, but she distinguished her character by spelling her name with an extra E, which is why Anne is so insistent on it in the book, (laughs) which I love. She based other characters such as Gilbert Blythe on like people she knew in the area And she said she wrote the novel in the twilight of the day while sitting at her window and overlooking the fields of Cavendish, which, of course, is the gorgeous coastal town that Avonlea is based on. Okay, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. The book quickly became a bestseller. Over 19,000 copies were sold in the first five months. And since then, over 50 million copies have been sold worldwide. And it hasn't just been a popular book. The town of Cavendish is now a thriving tourist destination. The house that inspired Green Gables was owned by L.M. Montgomery's relatives, 
It was built in the 1830s, but by the 1930s was vacant. And when the second film adaptation was made in the 30s, interest in the house itself grew because mm. i don't think that people knew that it was a real fucking house right because she made up the name of the town yeah like so and then it's like her aunt's house or whatever yeah okay. so the green gables house has is a real fucking house mm -hmm. so like they also like the house that people go to visit wasn't built because of the movie right it was just there it was that house it's her family's house which is so cool so the government of Canada bought it and they bought like all the land around it to make Prince Edward Island um, kind of a national park. Mm -hmm. The original plan was to make this house the clubhouse for the golf course that surrounded it. Stop. But public backlash was swift and harsh. Good. <laughs> there you go. She is one of our national treasures. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> so it remained. During the 1950s, the home was furnished with period-appropriate furniture and was used as a kind of like historic house model. Um, and then the 1970s came and the building was refurbished and remodeled to resemble the Green Gables depicted in Montgomery's novels. Mm -hmm. So in the 70s is when they were really starting to use it as like a destination for the book lovers. And then on July 10th, 1985, Green Gables was officially designated as a federal heritage building as an example of 19th century architecture in the province and for the home's importance to the literary community. Mm. The larger property, including the ruins of Montgomery's homestead, were designated as the L.M. Montgomery's Cavendish National Historic Site of Canada in 2004. And to this day, the house receives around 125,000 visitors every year. And the entire town is basically an Anne of Green Gables fan retreat <laughs> with tours run by young girls with red braids and straw hats. <laughs> there is also a separate Anne of Green Gables museum where tourists can buy all sorts of memorabilia and learn about the author. But it isn't just Canadians who hold this book as a national treasure. This book is especially popular in Japan. Really? <laughs> It is called it is called Red Haired Anne. And it has even been included in the national school curriculum since nineteen fifty two. Oh my goodness. What? Anne is a revered icon in Japan, especially since nineteen seventy nine when the story was broadcast as an anime. Soon, tourists from Japan started to flock to Prince Edward Island to go to the town of Cavendish and see the Gable House. Young Japanese girls would arrive with their hair dyed red and split into braids. And couples would travel there to get married at the house just like Anne and Gilbert did in the books. Can you believe that? I cannot. Just like a sea of Japanese tourists. Like in their element like they fucking love Anne of Green Gables that's cool I love when like a culture really grabs on yeah. something yeah. I love it in fact it was such a popular travel destination for Japanese fans that they ended up just building a replica of the famous house at a theme park in Ashibetsu Hokkaido Japan called Canadian World perfect they just built their own they're like why are we traveling all the way to Canada? Yeah. Let's just build our It's own. a question I ask myself a lot. <laughs> as far as... And it's not even like no. British Columbia. Like Prince no. Edward's Island is on the Atlantic Ocean. That's yeah. really far it's from so Japan. so far away from Japan. <laughs> so now let's get into the film adaptations. The first Anne of Green Gables was a silent film in 1919. Then in 1934, Anne is finally talking. And 
I'm not going to list all the adaptations of the series because there is so many of them. <laughs> but I think we all remember the 1985 version with Megan Follows starring in Anne. It was a four-part miniseries. And it was so popular that they did two more starring Megan, and she became synonymous with the role. Yeah. Like, I can just picture, picture her. I can picture her. Yeah. In the straw hat with the braids, like, running through fields. Like, I just feel like that was who I always pictured as Anne. Um, and, of course, the most recent version was released in 2017. This was a Canadian broadcasting service, Netflix joint production, and it starred Amy Beth McNulty as Anne. This was a series of three movies, um, and this one deviated from the book series in more than just the name. So this series would be called Anne with an E, and they decided to take on a darker, more serious tone. Okay. So the one in 1985, like, stuck very closely to the book, sometimes, like, collapsing scenes, sometimes adding scenes, but, like, mostly it's really, really it's similar It's a play-by-play, play, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um. But Anne with an E expanded the world of Avonlea to include more characters of color and discuss what life would be like for them during this period. Mm. And it also talked more blatantly about bullying and some of the trauma that Anne would have faced in the orphanage and at school. Like, in the book, like, they tease her, but it's not, like, traumatic. But mm -hmm. in Anne with an E, from what I understand, I haven't seen it, but, like, from what I understand, like, it's more traumatic and more like, you know, really rough bullying and mm -hmm. torture. <laughs> um, but yeah, so overall darker series. So like, but fans still really like it. And I think it adds to the world things that are important, like mm. adding more characters that like would have lived in Prince Edward Island, but maybe nobody's fucking writing about. Right. Um, but overall, the impact of Anne and her imaginative spirit has obviously not waned in the past 118 years. <laughs> this little orphan Anne with red hair has continued to inspire young girls for years to write, to speak up, and most importantly, to imagine. Anne encourages us to see the beauty around us, and I have to agree with her on one very important she statement she made in the book. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. Did you know that she said that? That's I've I've heard that before. Yeah, I feel like it comes around like every fall. Like memes. Yeah, I've seen memes. Yeah, I always yeah. see it like on a meme, you know, and like surrounded by fall flowers. And like I never knew that that was a quote from Anne of Green Gables. I didn't either. I just thought it was cute. Yeah. A cute quote. Because yeah. I also love October. Me too. Oh my goodness. What a fun story. I didn't know a lot about of that about Anne. Like I yeah. knew the basic gist, but I didn't know like she aged. I didn't, you know, I just mm -hmm. didn't know all that. All right. I hope I didn't know. This is a hard story to tell because again, it's eight books. Yeah. And over 118 years or whatever. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot. And there are like there's, there's so many fans. There's so many fans, and yeah. there are so many characters that, like, I'm like, I'm not even going to get into them. Um, <laughs> but anyways, now we need to talk about these two ladies in conversation with each other in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. So I feel <laughs> like Anne eventually gets adopted into a family that loves and accepts her, and I think that Ronnie... Like, even though she did get married and have kids, like, when she was with Phil Spector, like, she thought that was endgame, and it just was not. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Like, thinking you're out, 
of the woodworks thinking you're out of your shitty situation only to be disappointed and like in a worse one <laughs> right and and all that almost happened to Anne. Yeah. you know like the cuthbert's almost took her back and i think about that moment where she's like oh my god it's like She's just so excited to be adopted. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Ronnie was so excited to get married and start her family with this guy who, like, left his wife for her. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure she thought that, like, oh, this is, like, the real deal. Like, he really loves me. And and she probably saw how he treated, like, male performers. Yeah. And thought, oh, this is going to be great. Uh Just, like, the same way that her adopted parents originally wanted a boy. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like there are certain roles that you're going to play as a male or a female, especially in both of these time periods. And um, Anne fortunately got to break that mold. uh, But Ronnie did not. No. And I'm also thinking about like Marilla and Phil as like the two main like kind of supporters in their life, you know. And Phil gives off this like really like wild like warm like sense of you know community with all these male artists and like all these people that he works with but he's so fucking terrible to his family yeah and he's like a monster behind the scenes whereas marilla is kind of the opposite she is harsh she is strict you know she <laughs> gets mad at Anne for like being too excited during her prayers what she told her to do <laughs> but there's so much love behind that whereas with phil what's behind all of this like what's supposed to be love is like terrible control and like issues, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think we would see someone like Marilla on the surface and be like, well, she's not fit to be like a parent. Like she's too mean. Mm -hmm. And really it's like, she does what she does because she cares so much about Anne, you know? And I just, I don't know. I think appearances, especially when it comes to like, intimate relationships are not always what they appear you know yeah and i i loved too that like these the mom characters like we don't hear a lot from ronnie's mom but Mm -hmm. when ronnie needed her she showed up and broke her out of a mansion yeah and and that's a real life story and i think marilla is doing a very similar thing Mm -hmm. in the sense that she is loving her despite all the hardships that she's going through as well. It's not like Marilla's life was super easy or anything. Mm-hmm. So I just liked that their mom characters were steady throughout the book, even yeah. though for Anne, it's not her biological mother. Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting too, that Ronnie seemed to be when she was young, she's really creative. She's singing, she's doing all this stuff and it's highly encouraged mm-hmm. with Anne. However, imagination she is constantly being <laughs> reprimanded. Like, <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And it's kind of seen as a bad thing, you know, and I just think their two journeys with that are so very different. And then like, but it kind of ends the same in a weird way. Like neither of them really get their due Mm -mm. and never becomes a writer, which I think is like kind of a bummer. (laughs) And Ronnie, after the success of the Ronettes, like doesn't really have like, Phil ruins her career. Yeah. She loses out on even like the potential to have a career because of him. Yeah. And that really bums me out. It does. I mean, even in the book, they're like, you're so smart. Why don't you go to college and become a teacher? Yeah. And it's like, well, how come Gilbert gets to go be a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? They have the same grades. I don't yeah. understand what you're saying. So yep. I do think that there is that sense of like, there is exactly one place you can go mm-hmm. as a woman. And it's where I'm telling you, you can go as society. Yeah. 
Well, and society is going to tell you exactly how much you can age. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Anna Green Gables grew up because <laughs> I've only seen her as a child de- depicted as a child right. in everything. And like, I'm sure if I actually watched the movies, you know, mm-hmm. like I would <laughs> see her go to college and like get married and stuff. But like, I feel like when you picture her, you picture the young girl. And with Ronnie, you picture her in the romance in the 60s with the with beehive. Her beehive hairdo. And like both of them, even though one is a fictional character, both of them aged. Both of them learned hard lessons and grew up. And yet we still pigeonhole them into certain time periods of their lives, you know, which I think mm. is interesting. Yeah. Mm. I agree. I don't know. What interesting stories to put with each other. Yeah. Oh, and I also had one more. I think, yeah, do um, it. They both had interesting coping mechanisms, too, because mm. one of the things I really didn't get into is, like, Anne has a wild imagination because she's been through some real fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's like a servant. She literally has to, like, and she's been in such awful situations when she, since she was a kid that she has to just, like, sit there and imagine herself out of it to cope. I mean, all of her caregivers have died before the age yeah. of 10. Like, all of them. All of them. And I was thinking about ronnie like drinking just to be like okay i'm gonna use it to cope with what's going on and also like as a way to get out of the fucking house absolutely and yeah i just think that coping mechanisms are important and like i hope if you're in a shitty situation like you have one and pick (laughs) please pick a healthy one alcohol is not a great one alcohol is please pick like a healthier coping mechanism have you tried imagining (laughs) um (laughs) i haven't (laughs) but yeah two very interesting ladies yeah i really liked that all right. Well, who would you like to toast this evening? I just want to toast to lost careers. Mm, just to people yeah. who could have been something else, but were told they couldn't or were put in a really shitty situation. So yeah. to the, the you, you could have been, and it's okay being yeah. the you, you are. Cheers. Cheers. How about you? I do want to toast Anne and her imagination and her incessant chatter <laughs> because I feel like there are a lot of times when you are a young girl or a young kid, whatever, and people just want you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and Anne does talk a lot. And I feel like because she's also like trying to be so good that like and it's also I like that Matthew is like actually her incessant talking really helps me. Like it's not always bad that she does this, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just want to toast her for that because as annoying as it can be sometimes, like, I don't want people, I don't want Pete, I don't want Anne to stop talking. I don't want her to do that. I'm glad that she is like that. And like other young girls who are also like that can find comfort in her. Like, just like I found comfort in Mary Lennox being just like this solemn little girl who like didn't want to fucking talk if she didn't want to. <laughs> don't talk to me. So cheers. cheers. <laughs> All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I read Spare. (laughs) And I wasn't going to. I told myself I wasn't going to. Uh I didn't want to. It's the same reason that I really lagged on the last two seasons of The Crown. I struggle when things are about Princess Diana Uh because I know what's going to happen. And also it's like I know so much of the information that it's almost like boring. Like how much Audrey Hepburn stuff do you now take in? Exactly. Because you took it all in when you were a crazy teenager and it's like, I don't need any more of this. Um, So I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to read it. 
And I decided to read it. So I read it. Um, <laughs> Prince Harry, or I guess Harry formerly known as Prince, what he... It's so hard because I understand living in the eye of the paparazzi your entire life, never allow being allowed to go anywhere without bodyguards, whatever is like super difficult. But then also it like, and he acknowledges this. It comes off as super privileged when you're just like, I've had a really hard week. I'm going to go to Botswana and I'm just going <laughs> to escape. I'm just going to go to Africa and stay with my friends for a while. But then it's also like, I did learn some things about him. Like, um, I knew like that he was actually in the military and his position wasn't like just fake, but I learned that about some of the missions that he was on in Afghanistan and like what the outcomes were. So like, I did learn a lot of that stuff, but I also am just like, what are, what is Will and Kate's take on this? I'm never going to know. That makes me even more frustrated. And he definitely painted himself and Megan as the good guys in most every Mm-hmm. argument which i am sure i do when i talk about <laughs> arguments so like i know that will and kate are not terrible people <laughs> so and he doesn't say that in the book either so i was just like this is so funny and it's really hard to read but there were some beautiful things and there were some things where i was just like oh yeah this is tiring <laughs> but, but it was interesting i learned that he went to the north pole and got his penis frostbitten I did hear some yeah. word about that. Yeah. <laughs> Heard some word on the streets about Harry's frostbitten penis. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So overall, I would recommend reading the book, but also remember that he was born in 1984, and everybody born that year is a nutcase. That's true. So that's true. Let's move on from there. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to recommend another piece of British pop culture. Fun. The Office. No. <laughs> Kunk on Earth. I love Kunk on Earth. When I am saying I was dying last night watching it. Girl, from somebody who loves documentaries, (laughs) I cry in laughter. So, guys, if you don't know, this (laughs) this is a new, like, not really, I don't know, whatever. Relatively new. Relatively new series on Netflix, and it's a making fun of history documentaries and this is girl philomena kunk that's her character name her real name is diane morgan and she's a comedian and she is hosting this history documentary and she asked the questions she asked and she has real experts on the show and they are blown away like they think they're doing a real interview no, no they don't they know they're in on it i do, some of she, them are blown <laughs> they look like they're like what so the fuck i heard an interview with her because like okay was seth myers was like are they aware that it's like a spoof and she goes oh yeah she goes you know we tell them but she goes but we tell them to treat it as if it's like they like giving us the real information. Uh-huh. Like they're not being the comedian. I'm the comedian. She is. Yeah. But she goes, but it is hard because sometimes the question I ask them totally floors them <laughs> and they just burst out laughing yeah. because they're like, this is so fucking dumb. It, it's <laughs> insane. Some questions she asks, I like my jaw hits the floor. And she goes, so which one's better? The Torah or the Bible? And he goes, the Torah. And she goes, huh? So that one. Okay. <laughs> I just like I love it so much. They'll be talking about evolution. She'll be like, "So did people back then have hands?" Yeah, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah they pe- did." People had hands, and she's like, "So what did they write with?" And they're like, "They, their hand, their hands." I don't know. Like it's 
so crazy. It's crazy. I just, I, it's, <laughs> it's undescribable how it funny really it is. is. But it's so good. And each episode is only half an hour long. Uh, and there's only five. Yeah. So it's very easily digestible. Yeah. I'm going to finish it tonight. We watched the first two episodes last night. <laughs> yeah. And, it's like she'll, and there's also like a part where she like makes fun of like how like history documentaries mm-hmm. will only focus on like Europe and like, you uh-huh. know, that kind of area. And she'll be like, and then the people in the Andes and who knows what the fuck. <laughs> she'll be like, who knows what those funny foreigners were doing. <laughs> like she has to go so did they build the pyramids from the bottom up or the, the top, top down? down it's like uh the well, bottom also, up she makes such a good point though <laughs> accidentally sometimes where she's like people say they don't know how the pyramids were made i reckon they just did one brick at a time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 a, a treat it's a real treat especially if you're a documentary watcher yeah it's very funny. It's so dry. And I love dry humor. It's my absolute favorite. The camera work is like a documentary. The mm-hmm. interviews in those separate like dark rooms are like a documentary. Like, I'm about to go into this cave, not because I'm a wolf or because I need shelter for the night, but because the producers told me to. Yes. <laughs> She's very funny. Oh, God. So anyways, Kunk on Earth, if you haven't seen it, please watch it. Um, and they painted on the walls and they thought they were good. Yeah. <laughs> Have they made a movie of this yet about <laughs> the problem that they had with the cows? She goes, I don't know why they hated cows so much. <laughs> really good. Anyways, it's so good. I'm just going to keep quoting it forever if I don't stop yeah, now. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for those who came to the live show, those who didn't make it. We missed you. And But it, now you can <gasps> listen now to you it. Can listen to it. We posted it last week, so go have fun with that. <laughs> Um, and join us on all the social medias. And if you want more of this craziness, join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can listen to bonus content every week um, where we talk about our very personal lives. But most of all, <laughs> we want you to never forget that well-behaved women don't have hair like carrots. No. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. Goodbye.